I have a maker He formed my heart Before even time began My life was in His hands He knows my name He knows my every thought He sees each tear that falls And hears me when I call I have a father He calls me his own He'll never leave me No matter where I roam He knows my name He knows my every thought He sees each tear that falls And hears me when I call He knows my name He knows my every thought He sees each tear that falls And hears me when I call And hears me when, when I call Amen. Praise the Lord. First Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19. A few hours or maybe a day or so before this passage of scripture that we're going to read in your hearing tonight took place, Elijah gathered the people of Israel on the side of Mount Carmel. It was time to declare who they were going to serve. As a matter of fact, that's what the Bible says. And Elijah gathered them there. The deal was this. We're going to build two altars. The prophets of Baal will build their altar and they will pray to their gods. And then we will build the altar of God using 12 stones representing each tribe of the children of Israel. And then I'll pray, he said. And so the prophets of Baal built their altar. They put their sacrifice on the altar and they begin to pray. And the Bible tells us that they prayed in the morning hour to no avail. And then Elijah began to kind of add insult to injury. He said, maybe your God is on vacation. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe your God's hard of hearing. Speak a little louder. And the Bible says they begin to cut themselves. Their gods did not respond. And then Elijah built the altar of God with 12 stones. 
put the sacrifice on the altar, and then poured 13 quarts of water down across the sacrifice until it gathered in a trough at the base of the altar. And the Bible says that he prayed. Someone has speculated the prayer lasted approximately 19 seconds. And then the Bible says after he prayed the prayer, and then the fire of the Lord fell. And the people of God said, it is the Lord God. It is he who we will serve. I guess so. Amen. Now we're a chapter after that. Again, we don't know how much time has lapsed since that event on Mount Carmel. But now we're going to see a different side of Elijah. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. For after the Prayer was prayed, the fire fell, he had the prophets of Baal put to death. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of theirs. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. 
Anoint Elisha, son of Japheth, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Israel. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. What a story. Father, <clears throat> help us to glean out of this story something that will help us tonight. I pray, Father, that we would be very introspective this evening. For again, as we've already stated in our time with these wonderful people, revival is for the people of God. I thank you for the word that I received tonight that there have been some folks giving their lives, confessing their sins, coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus as a result of this revival. I praise you for that. I pray you would continue to work in all of our lives regardless of where we are in our own personal spiritual journey. Again, I ask for your help. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to ask a very interesting question as I begin the message tonight. And after I ask the question, I want you to hear me out. Don't make any premature judgments after you hear the question. Here's the question. It's very simple. I want to ask you, do you have spots? Do you have spots? You're probably thinking to yourself, what is he talking about? Do I have spots? Well, in this passage of Scripture that we read a moment ago, I find that this question is very relevant in our lives as well as in the life of the man Elijah. I'm convinced that probably every person in the place has some kind of spot. Now, understand, I'm not talking about the kind of spot that you would find on a leopard. I'm not talking about some kind of cosmetic blemish. No, when I ask you, do you have spots, I'm talking about four particular kinds of spots. I wonder, do you have ball spots? <laughs> Blind spots. Blank spots. Bad spots. I want us to evaluate each of these kinds of spots and see if perchance we might have one or more of them. Because you see, if we're going to move on in spiritual maturity, if we're going to go deeper in our walk with the Lord, we're going to have to come to terms with these spots in our lives. So let's get to it. Let's talk, first of all, about ball spots. Now, the gentlemen in the congregation, uh, rest easy. We're not talking about that loss of hair on that cranial part of your anatomy. I know that some of you have what we call naturally wavy hair. It's waved up and said, wave. It stood up and waved goodbye. It's not there. It's just not there anymore. We're not talking about those kinds of spots. Now, when I talk about bald spots, in the context of this message, I am talking about that whole range of physical and mental infirmities, those shortcomings, those inabilities that we all have that we find difficult facing about ourselves. But I submit to you tonight that if you're going to grow in grace and if you're going to go deeper in your walk with the Lord, there comes a time when you're going to have to face yourself as you really are. 
You're going to have to face the fact, I have some shortcomings. You're going to have to realize that you have some inabilities. You're going to have to face and come to terms with the fact that some of us are more talented than the rest of us. You're going to have to face the fact that there are some things that we will never be and some things we will never have. Let me illustrate. I've been biologically thin all of my life. When I was a youngster, especially in my early teen years, I enjoyed reading comic books. And when I would read that comic book, I'd get about halfway through the comic book, and there would be an advertisement for the Charles Atlas bodybuilding course. And I would look at that advertisement, and it was illustrated with the 98-pound weakling sitting in the sand with the muscle-bound beach guy kicking sand into his face. I was the 98-pound weakling. And I always wanted to have a set of barbells and dumbbells so that I might be able to build my body into a muscle-toned, wonderful body. Never had the money. My allowance was a dollar a week, so it was obvious I wasn't going to get the barbells or the dumbbells. But when I became an adult and I had a little bit of extra money, I made up my mind, hey, now's the time. I'm going to go out and buy me a set of dumbbells. So I went out and bought me a set of dumbbells and I began to pump iron seriously. I would get up every morning and I'd stand in front of the mirror there in my bedroom and I would just pump those dumbbells up and down just like this. I'd do the curls. I was doing everything. I was doing this kind of a thing back here. I was doing all that I knew to do to build this body of mine into one finely tuned masculine machine. I just knew that if I did this long enough, one day I could walk into the room where my wife was doing her crocheting and she'd drop her crocheting on her lap and look at me and say, there's my man. I mean, I, I just saw this happening. It was going to take place, and I could hardly wait for it to take place. But after about four or five weeks of seriously pumping iron, I saw no appreci appreciable change in the size or shape of my arms or my chest. And so I just stopped the whole thing, put the dumbbells in the closet, recognized who the real dumbbell was, and I, I came to the reality, hey, Lane, all you'll ever be is lank. Lane Loman. And every one of us must come to that place in our lives. At some point, we're going to have to look in the mirror, fellas, and say, all right, Brad Pitt, I'll never be. I missed him about two miles to the right. And some of you ladies, uh, you're going to have to look in the mirror and say, all right, Miss America, I'll never be. I missed her about five miles to the left. Uh, I might as well just accept the fact that I am who I am. Uh, we spend, have you noticed this in our society? We spend an inordinate amount of money uh, trying to be something we can never be. But at some point in time, when you can accept yourself, bald spots and all, then you can realize that God has accepted you, that God affirms you as a valid, unique, complete human being just as you are. Now understand at this point of the message, I'm not talking about sin versus righteousness. I'm talking about the hand you've been dealt in life. You don't have to be taller. 
You don't have to be shorter. You don't have to have more hair. You don't have to be prettier. You don't have to be stronger. You don't have to have anything else other than what you've got right now sitting in this auditorium to be accepted by God. Because the Bible clearly tells us that God looks on the inward part of the individual. And as soon as you can look at yourself realistically and honestly, and might I add, with a sense of humor, then you can recognize that God has accepted you just as you are. You see, learning to accept these defects these spots, these blemishes, I repeat, it's one of the great steps in moving on in spiritual maturity. Just because you can't do a certain thing, just because you have some minor or even major flaw, don't let the enemy beat you to death with that. God accepts you just as you are. You've got to be willing and able to look in the mirror and say, all right, bald spots, warts, cuts, blemishes, short, tall, fat, thin, this is who I am. But listen, glory to God in Jesus Christ, that's enough. You must find your identity in Jesus Christ. Bald spots, we all have them. And we must get to the place where we say, all right, there are things about myself I'll never be able to change externally, and I might as well commit that to the Lord and not allow the enemy. You see, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, the enemy will continue to manipulate you and cause you to spend an inordinate amount of time on the things about yourself that you cannot change, and you'll never become that kind of spiritual, mature person that God desires each of us to become. Bald spots. We've got to recognize them. And accept them. I've got a very obvious bald spot. And I know you wouldn't come up to me and point it out. But I've got a very obvious bald spot. Had it ever since I was a teenager. I guess it was hereditary. I think I got it from my grandma Loman. I'm bow-legged. I could stand up here for the next hour pushing my knees together hoping they'd stay, but they never would. And I've borne the jokes about being bow-legged all of my life. Hey, Lane, did your mom and dad try to make you walk too soon? Hey, Lane, you born on a horse? Here's the best one. Hey, Lane, you stand by somebody that's not need, and y'all could spell ox. I thought that was the best one. That was the best one I ever heard. <laughs> Ball spots. We've got to accept them and move on. But then let's go on. Let's look uh, at blind spots. Now it gets really personal here. Because you see, blind spots are different than bald spots because up to this point in the sermon, we've been talking about the external, seeable spots in our lives. Now we want to look inside because, you see, blind spots deal with who I am as an individual on the inside. The blind spots of my life are those things in my character, those defects, those deficits, what I am, who I am, that often I am unwilling to allow God to deal with in my life. Those hidden things. Those things that only you and God know about. 
It's very interesting. Even though we may be a Christian, we will, over a course of time, we will develop some kind of spiritual myopia, some kind of spiritual cataract. To where we will not allow ourselves to see those hidden spiritual issues in our life. The self-centeredness, the secret sin, the bitterness that we hold, the anger that we have. Oh, you could go on and list numerous things and talk about a lot of things that we keep inside. But again, if we're going to move on spiritually, we must be willing to open our eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to remove the cataract and let us see ourselves as he sees us. Blind spots. The problem with blind spots is that we don't want to talk about them. I don't want to talk about why I'm so angry at that person. It's like a crutch. If I can hold on to the anger, then I can function a little better when I'm around them. I don't want to let go of that bitterness because if I let go of that bitterness, that means I'm going to have to change my behavior. I don't want to let go of that secret sin because I just want to do that. If I let go of that secret sin, then that means there's going to be a radical change in my behavior patterns. You know what I've discovered, folks? I've discovered that God loves us so deeply. God loves us so desperately. And he wants the very best for us. Somebody said uh, that he doesn't want to leave us where he found us. He wants to take us to another place spiritually. And so you know what I've discovered in my own spiritual life? I have found out regarding the blind spots in my life, I have found out that God will do everything that he can to get through to us about our blind spots. And one of the ways that he does it is through the word of God. I guarantee you if there's a blind spot in your life, something you've not been willing to deal with, lay on the altar, confess to God, move on beyond it. I guarantee you, if you read the Word of God long enough, it will not be long until God will bring you through His Holy Spirit to a passage of Scripture in the Bible that deals specifically with that blind spot in your life. And you've come up against light, and you have to deal with the light that God has shed on your spiritual pathway. And you can do one of two things at that moment in time. You can choose to ignore it, or you can choose to embrace it and say, yes, Lord, that's exactly where I'm at. That's the problem in my life, and I need to surrender it to you. But I know how this works. We can be reading the Word of God and the Holy Spirit do exactly what I've just described, and you can see that and know that God is speaking to you about that blind spot in your life, and you'll say, I know, I know, that's a problem in my life. I know that's an issue. I've got to deal with that at some point, but not now. And you just close your eyes to it and become blind to it and move right on. I want to tell you something. You will never go any further than that blind spot in your life. You'll never move beyond that. God will always bring you back to it before he takes you anywhere else in your relationship with him. But you know what I found out? I've discovered that if God can't get through to us through our reading of the Word of God, He'll use a sermon. And it could happen on any given Sunday or Saturday night for your church. 
God lay some truth upon Gay's heart or upon Buddy's heart, and he stands up here or she stands up here and begins to share the word with the congregation, not realizing that God laid that particular truth on their heart for somebody in that congregation. And you sit back there and wonder, how in the world did he or she know about that in my life? Well, you see, God's trying to get through to you about that blind spot in your life. But I know how that works too. Because it's awfully easy to come into an environment like this on a regular weekly basis, hear the message, the Word of God, Holy Spirit, quicken your spirit, you know that He's dealing with you, and say, well, I know, that's an area of my life I need to address, but this service will be over in just a few minutes, and I'll just deal with it sometime later, and get up and walk out of the auditorium, and never deal with that blind spot in your life. But you know what I found out? I have discovered that God loves us so deeply He loves us so desperately that if he can't get through to us through the reading of the word of God, if he can't get through to us through our pastors preaching the word of God to us in a corporate worship service, you know what he might do? He just might bring in a bow-legged evangelist from Indiana (laughs) to tell you about your blind spot. But I know how that works too. I've been in enough revival meetings To see people, you could see it on their countenance. You knew that God was dealing with them about some blind spot in their life. I mean, their body language told you this. And they would stand there under conviction, knowing God was dealing with them. And then they say, well, hey, this evangelist, he's going to be leaving on Thursday. And so this emotional tug I'm feeling right now, it'll be over after a while. And so I'll just put this thing off and walk out of the service. Never deal with the blind spot in your life. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered God doesn't quit. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God doesn't quit? He's like the proverbial hound of heaven. He wants the very best for every one of us. He seeks us out. He finds us where we are. And if he can't get through to us through our reading of the word of God, through our pastors preaching the word to us, or through an evangelist coming and sharing a sermon on spots, you know what God just might do? Fellas, He just might speak to you through your wife. (laughs) I must tell you, I hate it when my wife hears from God about me. (laughs) But it's happened. In my own spiritual journey, she's watching tonight. And in my own spiritual journey, there have been those times that my wife has been used by God to speak to me, to speak something into my heart and my mind that I needed to hear regarding my own walk with the Lord. The point of this is this. We've got to be willing to hear from God through any vehicle he chooses. If we're going to move on in maturity, move on in holiness, we've got to say, God, I don't care who you use. I don't care if it's a song. I don't care if it's an evangelist. I don't care if it's the Word of God. I don't care if it's a youth program. I don't care what it is. I just know that I don't want any kind of blind spot in my life. 
This episode in Elijah's life helps me in so many ways because it shows that human side of this great prophet of God. And we know his story. We shared a little bit of that with you just a few moments ago. And we see that he was a great man of God, used mightily of God. We know that he prayed that marvelous prayer and God responded with fire. But here in this chapter, we see another side of Elijah. He is wallowing in self-pity. Oh, God, Jezebel wants me dead. Ahab's taken a contract out on my life. There are no other prophets in all of Israel but me. Just kill me and take me on to be with you. He's wallowing in self-pity. It's a prophet with serious spots. He's got to deal with these spots. We don't have time to deal with all the nuances of what's going on here. But one of the things I notice about Elijah is that because of his spots, he could see everybody else's spots but his own. He was very quick to point out Jezebel and Ahab, prophets of Israel, and the people of Israel. But he wasn't willing to look at his own spots. You see, one of the great prohibitives to our own spiritual growth is many times we spend a lot of time looking and picking out, looking at and picking out other people's spots and won't hear from God about our own. And the reason this is so vital in our lives is because if we're doing that, if we're only seeing other people's spots, then it'll create tension in our lives. You see, this is the thing. Pointing out other people's spots is the, things, is the thing that rips at homes and tears families apart. Pointing out everybody else's spots instead of accepting your own and doing something about it. It's the thing that tears churches apart. People pointing their finger. Picking people apart, pointing their spots out, and not willing to hear from God about their own spot. Did you hear about John and Mary? We don't have a John and Mary in here tonight, do we? John and Mary attended a nice church, good church. They were faithful, professed to love the Lord, had a nice family, three kids. And when you looked at John and Mary on the surface, it appeared that they had a wonderful life, a wonderful marriage. The kids seemed to always be happy, and husband and wife seemed to love one another deeply. But that's the way it looked on the surface. 75% of the time, they were getting along, functioning as a family, but then there was that other 25% of the time. That other 25% of the time, it was like World War III in their relationship. And if I had John and Mary here tonight, and I happened to be their pastor, I'd probably look at them and I'd say, hey, John, hey, Mary, 
I know you're in the church and you come, you're faithful and all of those kinds of things. But I've seen a side of you that troubles my spirit. I mean, you're at one another and you're picking one another apart. And this tension and this argumentative spirit that you have between yourselves is just not a good thing. And it's not good for your kids. And hey, John, hey, Mary, could you just kind of tell me what the deal is with this? And Mary would immediately volunteer. Well, I'll tell you what the problem is. It's him. It's him. He loves fishing more than he loves me. That's all he ever thinks about. Every time I turn around, if he's not working or sleeping or eating, he's thinking about fishing. His favorite story in the Bible is Jonah and the great fish. If he's got spare time, he's hooking that boat to the back end of his pickup truck and he's off to the lake or to the river. All he thinks about is fish. he doesn't, fishing. He doesn't realize that we have needs. I want him around sometimes and the kids want to be with their dad. Uh, it's, he's the problem. That's what we argue about. That's why there's so much tension. Thank you, Mary. We kind of get the picture here. Uh, John, you want to say anything to this? And John speaks up. He says, you'd go fishing too if you had to deal with that all the time. <laughs> I mean, I try to put a roof over their head and food on the table, clothes on their back. At least she could do is understand that I need my space every once in a while. And I need to get away from the pressure. And if she'd just understand that, then we would be able to solve this difference that we have. And while we argue so much over this very thing. Thank you, John. I kind of get the picture here. And you listen to people talk like that. And I've done that as a pastor. I've sat in counseling sessions and I've heard people talk just like that. And you listen to that, and you think to yourself, now somebody's lying. <laughs> one of the other's lying because one of them has got to be at fault here. But the fact of the matter is they're both at fault. Just in case Mary came to church tonight. Uh, Mary, could I talk to you a minute? Just me and you. Uh, Mary, there's only one person in this relationship that you're going to change. And it's not John. You can harangue him. You can nag him. You can complain. But you're not going to change him. Mary, there's only one person in this relationship you're going to change, and it's you. Hey, Mary, here's a thought. The next time you know that John's going to come home from work and hook that boat to the back end of his pickup and go fishing, why don't you have him a real nice sack lunch ready? And when he gets ready to pull out of the driveway, walk up to the pickup truck and say, Honey, you go have a great time. Here's something to snack on while you're fishing. I love you. You deserve it. You go. Now, you might have to call 911, but <laughs> just, just do that. Here's another thought. Mary, the next time you know John's going to go fishing, get somebody to take care of the kids. Get an old pair of jeans and an old shirt and a ball hat. And when he comes in and he starts hooking up that boat to the back end of that pickup truck, just walk over to him and say, Honey, you seem to really get great enjoyment out of fishing. I think I'd like to learn. I want to go with you today. He might stay home more. I don't know. 
Can I talk to John just for a minute? John, I need to talk to you about you and Mary. Do you realize, John, that you're the spiritual leader in your home? You're the high priest, according to the scriptures? That if there's any problem in the relationship, you're to take the initiative to solve the problem? And you're to lead your family spiritually at that point? That's your role, John. God's stated that very clearly in the Word of God. Spots. Bald spots. We've got to accept them. Get on beyond them. Blind spots. We've got to allow ourselves to see them and then allow the Holy Spirit to get down and begin to carve out those issues and areas of your life where there is nothing between you and Him. Thirdly, blank spots. Now, of course, they're different than bald spots and blind spots. Blank spots happen to every one of us. There's not a person in the sanctuary tonight or the auditorium tonight that hasn't had to deal with blank spots. Because you see, blank spots are those times in our spiritual life when we go through the spiritual desert. Anybody here tonight never been through a spiritual desert? I would speculate that all of us, if we're intense on serving the Lord, then we've gone through some difficult times, the valley experience, the desert experience, and it's going to happen to us. But something we need to remember about blank spots of our lives is this. Holiness of life is never found or nourished in the high peak spiritual experiences of life. I thank God for them. And I'll tell you when I've grown the most. It's when it was one foot in front of the other. Right foot, left foot. Did you notice in the story, as Elijah is there on the backside of the desert, and the Bible tells us, the Lord said, Go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Have you ever felt the wind of the enemy blow against your soul? If you haven't, maybe you're not living as close to the Lord as you should be. You're going to come. The winds will blow. The enemy will do everything he can to wreak havoc in your life. The Lord was not in that wind, but he was present. I like that statement that says, the Lord is about to pass by. He was present. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. In the spiritual sense, have you ever felt the foundation of your spiritual experience tremble? Boy, I have. I know what that's like. To have the enemy come against me, try to rob me of my joy, my victory, cause me to look at other things and other people and circumstances. But it says the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then it says, but after the Lord, after the earthquake, there was a fire. A fire. In the spiritual sense, have you ever felt the enemy so close that it was almost a literal presence? 
That's a fearful thing. And I don't mean to sound melodramatic tonight, but it happened to me one time. Charleston, West Virginia. I'd come in from fellowship after revival service. I was in a very nice motel room that had an outer sitting area, and I watched the news for a little while, and then I made my way through the little kitchenette area, back into the bedroom area, and I slid between the sheets. I rolled over on my right side, facing the wall, and then it happened. A presence that was so overwhelming, it literally paralyzed me with fear. I thought maybe I'd left the door open to the motel room. Maybe somebody had gotten in. And with all of my human strength, I tried to roll over and just see who was standing at the door of my bedroom. I couldn't. I literally could not move. I was paralyzed with fear. Finally, after a short period of time, whatever it was, just moved across my bed and disappeared through the wall of that bedroom. And I fell on my back in a hot sweat. I'd never had anything like that happen before. I told a friend of mine that story the next day when we were having lunch. I said, Steve, you have any idea what that could have been? He said, there's no question in my mind. That was the power of the enemy. You see, Satan is not omnipresent, but his influence is everywhere. And he will do everything that he can to try and defeat and discourage you and even destroy you if he can. But I am so thankful that in the blank spots of life, if we're where we need to be, our hearts and our ears spiritually are tuned to him. And we hear the still, small There have been times when I've heard it, and this is what it sounded like. Lane, I'm here. I'm here. I wouldn't trade anything for that. And know that he's there. Last of all, ball spots. Accept them. Get on by them. Blind spots. Open your eyes. Acknowledge them. Let the Holy Spirit deal with them. Get them out. Blank spots. You're not in this alone. He's with you. Bad spots. Now I'm going to have to put the Bible aside at this point in the sermon because I cannot find anything to validate this part of the sermon from this story. Bad spots represent one thing in this message. Can you imagine what it might be? Sin. Sin. When I read this story of Elijah, I see the humanness of one of the men of God. I don't see a man that's committing sin. I see a man that's discouraged. I see a man that's fearful. But I don't see any sin in his life. So I can't really go here and validate the point. But it needs to be addressed. Bad spots. Sin in your life. There's only one remedy for sin. And the songwriter says it well. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. 
but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I want to remind this congregation, and I don't know you, and I wouldn't hurt you for the world, but you need to remember this. All sin is serious with God. There is no such thing as a small sin. No such thing as a sin of no consequence. I fear that many of those of us who profess Christianity have bought into the idea that sin is actually acceptable in the life of the Christian. And because the grace of God has been given so liberally that we can be a Christian and just live and sin and the grace of God will just be swathed over our sin like a paintbrush painting over it. And we're not really accountable for it. And we're going to sin every day whether we like it or not. That's not what the Bible says. Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Oh, sin is serious to God. It was so serious to God that when that primordial family in the Garden of Eden committed that first transgression against God, God had to do something about it. And so he killed an animal, shed blood for the very first time and used the skin of that animal that he had killed as a covering for the nakedness that represented the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And in so many words, he was saying with that action, I will not look on sin. I will not tolerate sin. I hate sin. I have three brothers and one sister. My brother Richard pastors the Wesleyan Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I'm so proud of him. He accepted the call to preach in his 50s and took a church that was about to close its doors and it's now running around 200 people there in that small Andy Griffith town of Mount Airy. Richard married his high school sweetheart. Their marriage was an on-again, off-again marriage that lasted 13 years. And then they divorced. And one son, Mark, he's a minister as well. And they kept that relationship amenable for him. And our families continued to have relationship even though Richard and Kay were no longer together. And one day, my former sister-in-law Kay went to have her annual physical. physical. The doctor noticed a suspicious mole on her back. And he said, Kay, I don't like the looks of that. Let's biopsy it. Let's test it. And they did. And the results came back, melanoma, cancer. They put my former sister-in-law through a regimen of chemotherapy treatments, and it stopped the spread of that horrible disease for a time. Year, year and a half later, it reappeared. Another round of chemotherapy. It halted its progress again for a while. But then one day we received word that it had reappeared, this time in her brain. 
and it was going to be terminal. My brother Richard, even though they were no longer husband and wife, after she was put in the hospital, he would go by that hospital every day after work and sit beside the bed as she would drift in and out of sleep as they would increase the dosages of pain medication. One day, while she was coherent and clear-minded, she called my mother, my dad. My dad answered the phone. She said, Reverend Loman, could you bring Mrs. Loman to my room today? And my mother was driven by my father down to the Rowan County Hospital in Salisbury, North Carolina. And my mother spent the balance of the afternoon with her former daughter-in-law. And that day, Kay made her peace with God. Richard would come in every afternoon as Kay would drift in and out of consciousness, more unconscious, comatose, than aware and alert. Finally, one day, he walked out of the room to get a soft drink from a machine nearby, came back, and she was gone. Died. 39 years old. Now, I've told you that story out of my family's history for one simple reason, to illustrate my point. I was told that the mole they found on my sister, former sister-in-law's back was about as big as my little fingernail. It's hard for me to fathom how something that small can weave a web of physical destruction inside a person's body. But obviously it does. You may think it's not a big deal. You may think the sin that you've committed or that you chronically commit is not a big deal because it's not hurting anybody else. It's just you involved. Here's what the Bible says about that. And I say it kindly but emphatically. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Spiritual death. So don't take sin lightly. Ball spots. We all have them. Get over them. Move beyond them. Blind spots. Open your eyes. Take a good, honest look inside and see what's down there that keeps you from becoming that mature, spiritual person God desires you to be. Blank spots. Take courage. We all go through them, but he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Bad spots. There's only one remedy. Confession. Repentance. The blood of Jesus. Father, thank you so much for the reminders tonight. Help us to respond in a way that, that pleases you. Our heads are bowed, and I, I don't single people out. That's not my style. But help me know how far to take this service. It's already about 10 after 8. Help me know how far to take this service tonight.
How many of you here would say, Lane, I've got some bald spots, and I really need to get beyond them. Would you just lift your hand and take it right back down? Just all over the place. Yeah. Wow. How many of you would say, Lane, I've got some blind spots. It's been tough for me to see them and look at them and deal with them. Hands? Yeah, wow. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody here going through a blank spot tonight? Just, it's tough right now. Just tough right now. Thank you. Here's the big one. Anybody here say, Lane, I confess it. I acknowledge it. There's sin in my life. There's sin in my life. Mm. Mm. Let's deal with the spots in our lives tonight. Let's just deal with the spots in our lives. We're not going to interrogate you. We're not going to come and try to pry anything out of you. But, oh, bring those spots to the one who can take care of them, would you? Just get up out of your seat and move to the front of the auditorium and let's just seek the face of God tonight and let him deal with the spots in our lives. Would every one of you that lifted your hands, regardless of why you lifted it, just get up out of your seat and come down here and let's have a great time of seeking God to meet our needs and deal with the spots of our lives this evening. Praise God. Amen. Praise His name. prayer that you have to pray. I'm not going to try to direct you when you're praying. Just talk to him. Tell him what you're here for. He already knows, but go ahead and acknowledge it. Confess. Acknowledge. Seek his strength to help you follow through on whatever you're praying about and the commitment you're making here tonight. Father, if I understand your word, your desire for us is to live in victory. It's not that we're going, not going to have to deal with living in a broken world and the pressures of living in a broken world because we do. We, we know that. But I'm so thankful tonight, Father, that even with all that happens around us and all the things that Satan might try to do against us, we can reach a place where we know how to handle that. And there are some here this evening that are saying, I'm tired of allowing those bald spots to preoccupy my time and keep me from pursuing my walk with the Lord. And today, I accept who I am in Jesus Christ, and I choose to move beyond the bald spots into a deeper walk with Him. For those here this evening that said, I've got some blind spots, 
There's some things about my life that I don't like, and I know God doesn't like it. And I've come here tonight to ask him to come through the power of his Holy Spirit and begin to chisel those things out of my life so that there will be nothing, nothing inside of me that prevents the flow of the Spirit and the influence of the Word of God in my life. For those who've come, who've been struggling, and the enemy has been battling them, and they've been going through the desert place, I pray, Father, that they might have that calm assurance that they go through nothing alone, that you're there with them. Your word tells us, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And when, when our, we turn our eyes and hearts and minds toward you, you always respond to our coming to you. Thank you, Abba Father, for caring about us in the hard places of life. And then, Father, we plead the blood of Jesus for these that have acknowledged, yes, there's sin in my life. I don't want sin to have dominion over me. I want to be able to live out what Romans chapter 8 has to say, that we are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh, but debtors to the Spirit to live after the Spirit. And I pray tonight, Father, that they would say, Lord, I confess, I repent, and I purpose in my heart to follow a life of righteousness, making choices that are pleasing to you. When temptations come to sin, I will know in advance what my answer will be. And it will be to follow the way of righteousness. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing right now through the power of your Holy Spirit. Praise his name. Give him thanks tonight before you leave the place of prayer. Be sure and give him thanks. Jody, um, go back to what can wash away my sin. That's a great old song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of
nothing more meaningful in our life than the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all of our sins. Man, to think that when God looks at my heart, he doesn't see all that ugly mess that I created with my life and all my rebellion and sin, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. And he washes my sins away and your sins away. And we can celebrate that tonight. And I'm just so thankful for the message tonight and the messenger. And uh, Lane is a great guy. And we've just had a wonderful time with him this week. And he's ministered to us in ways that uh, were so needed in uh, my life and I'm sure in your life as well. And uh, if you've loved and appreciate what he's done tonight, we're going to receive another love offering tonight. I want to give him as much as we can possibly give him. I don't know how much has come in, but however much. If you can give tonight and just show your love for him as you leave tonight, the ushers will be at the doors with buckets, and let's fill those buckets up and and, uh, just celebrate what God has done in our life. Amen? Are you coming back tomorrow night? Food, we need to know. How are you coming back tomorrow night? Okay. All right. God bless you. And uh, Father, we pray that as we go from this place, God, that you would go with us. And Lord, I pray that we will go in victory. We thank you, Lord, tonight that you have come and you have ministered to our hearts, Lord. Father, I thank you for showing me a spot in my life tonight. And God, I pray that uh, I'll live in victory this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Go in peace. God bless you.